There's a new pet. Ch-ch-ch-chia. Chia Pet, the pottery that grows. It's fun and easy. Soak your chia, spread the seeds, keep it watered, and watch it grow. And now grow a whole collection of fun with Chia Teddy Bears. Puppies, kittens, rams, bulls. There's even a Chia Tree to keep your pets company. Chia Pets and Trees, the pottery that grows. The Chia Pet and Chia Tree are available at Kmart, Rite Aid, Ames, and Woolworth. Makes a great gift. Are you committed or are you flexible? Now you're probably thinking to yourself, that's a false choice. One can be both committed and flexible. Or maybe you said, well, I'm flexibly committed or I'm committed to being flexible. But they are indeed different choices. Interestingly, we make the choices against these two balances on the scale almost daily. One classical example from history, in the early days of Intel, the company manufactured all kinds of computer chips. They were flexibly responding to all the changes in the marketplace. But then they decided to commit and focus on only committing to microprocessors and of course revolutionize the computer industry in doing so. But even simpler versions of this choice exist every day. How committed are you to the route you take every day to work? Are you going to override ways again? Because you know, you know better. How long do you commit to that company that you've been dreading going to every day versus being flexible about all the opportunities that are coming your way? Are you committed to that content marketing platform or does being agile today mean that at the first sign of trouble, you're going to change direction? How long are we committed to this marketing strategy versus being flexible to change? Or on the other side of the scale, can we commit to anything? We're trying to be on every channel because we can't commit to one. We diversify our marketing spend across so many things, trying to be flexible that we're not committed to any one of them. Are you committed to writing that weekly blog post even though you're not seeing the exponential results? Can you wait? When does flexibility take over and give you the permission to say stop or change or do something else? Often, being committed is the reason we succeed. As philosopher William James once said, often our faith beforehand in an uncertified result is the only thing that makes the result come true. There's no right answer, of course. Of course it's a balancing act. And our own unique strengths and talents and habits and weaknesses typically lead us down one path or another, balance the scale on one side or the other. It's balancing act for sure. And this is most prominent for those of us who are doing some things in our company that have never been done before. New strategies, new channels, new approaches. None of them have been tried before, so it's important that we can live in this paradox. We have to commit to the new approach, but know when it's time to be flexible enough to change it, stop it, or double down on it. This, this is our art as marketers and business strategists. The thing that won't be replaced by artificial intelligence and the thing that can't be automated is our wisdom. And that's the theme of our show today, the wisdom of committing until it works or it doesn't. It's the wisdom of being flexible until it's time to commit. And only you can know the difference. And now I'm already committed to ending this introduction and being flexible about how long I went. You ready to start balancing? Well, then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 171 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Thursday, February 16th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who should be committed. Wait, that didn't come out quite right. The, how about this? The most committed guy in content marketing, <laughs> Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> yes, that's much better. Yeah. Thank you. You know I'm all about commitment. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. And, you know, you got to commit or not commit, you know, and that's, uh, that's, that's the name of the game these days. I got to tell you, by the time people listen to this, I will be returning from a very short trip to Florida. I'm in dire need of vitamin D. 
I'm, I feel. I'm, 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 I think it's fantastic that you're going. You're going to my most hated place on the planet, but I absolutely applaud you going. No, well, technically, Orlando is your That's most right. hated it's, place. It's Orlando and the Not going to Orlando. Orlando is, is my most hated place, but yes, it's... Uh, we're we're yeah we're we're in desperate need of any kind of sunlight, and we figured from Cleveland to Florida is the quickest way to get there. And so I, that's, that's I think that's doing. right. Yeah, I think absolutely. that's right. So I would invite you to Southern California, except it's supposed to be raining cats and dogs here over the next really? five days. Yeah, yeah. So and we need it. We need the rain. So you know, other than other than dams that may break and, and spill out all over the community, we're all you know everything else is. We need the rain. So yeah, it's rainy here, but good. Good, 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 good. So yeah, I'm glad we're recording this uh, this early, and we have. You know, we have we have some news. We have some we do some interesting news this uh, week. Some I interesting news, yes, absolutely. So, well, let's see. Our, our first uh, article that sort of tops the show here. This one is one that you and I have been talking about. I love when I, I love the fact that our audience sends us these things, and now the inside jokes are there. Um, this one comes courtesy of a few people. We'll, two will name off a hat tip to uh, Jaden Bales. Hi, Jaden, out there. I know you're a fan of the show, and then. Uh, Peter Von Digel. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Peter. Uh, you are at P Van Digel, and that's D-I-G-G-E-L-E on Twitter, and who both passed us these stories here um, about Apple getting into the original content business, and it was something we felt like we wanted to comment on quickly here. We'll put two links in the show notes, one from Recode.net, which really talks about um, Apple's plan to either buy or not buy a media company. Um, and then one from businessinsider.com, which talks about the show that they're going to launch their original content platform with, which seems to be a, uh, a Shark Tank-like uh, show called Planet of the Apps, which is funny. Um, Opening up the article, it says, The series was designed to promote Apple Music, since that's where the show will be distributed, but it's actually a way to differentiate Apple Music from Spotify. Planet of the Apps was produced by Ben Silverman, a, co a former co-chair of NBC Entertainment, who was also behind hit shows like Jane the Virgin and the U.S. Virgin, uh, version of The Office. So now that Apple is producing original content, Recode senior editor Peter Kafka asked Eddie Q, Apple's head of content, a key question at the Code Media Conference at the Ritz-Carlton Dana point will apple finally just go ahead and buy a big film studio or media company like sony pictures or time warner or netflix or lionsgate or disney as joe polizzi would say short answer no and so as i as i wipe my brow of i told you so what say you mr polizzi well first of all we have to note that eddie q is lying there is no <laughs> there is they are absolutely Trying Fair to enough. figure I take out which... the, I take I take your point, Senator. I take your point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that it's it's all smoke and mirrors because they don't want to give their position away. But I I I'm pretty positive that they're looking at um, not necessarily Disney at this point, but purchasing um, purchasing a media company of some kind. And I yes. think that I mean. I think you're right, by the way. I think they will purchase somebody. I think based on the success or non-success of this show, I think they'll probably start to look at, you know, they're stepping their way into this, right? And if they start to see that they're getting some traction here, it just makes sense. But it let, makes sense look, for them to... Yes, but look at company. it this way. Just from an experiment, I mean, just from an experimental standpoint, they have to do this. They have $260 billion. I mean, yeah. it, it would cost them nothing to tinker with a billion dollar media company that's right just because so much of i mean if i if i'm apple and i'm looking at what amazon is doing specifically and saying there's more people spending time on amazon amazon is creating more and more of their own content uh you've got the ceo of the company that's already purchased the washington post there's obviously a play there if you if i'm apple i'm thinking well there there are less there there are more and more consumers spending less time around Apple Music. It's a problem. This is a this is a huge profit center for them. So okay, they're going to take a they're going to put their uh, toe in the water and do this Planet of the Apps thing with Gary Vee and a couple other people. Great, good for them. But that's just the first stage of experimentation, in my opinion. Yeah. And you know, with Gary Vee, the whole theme of the game show is going to be you're not working hard enough. You're not hustling enough. <laughs> we talked about it. Just, yeah, we were talking about it before. Your problem is 
you're not working 25 hours. F like you. Like I do. You're not working hard enough. <laughs> it's like you you're gotta- not hustling. Gary, I have a question. Uh, I can't get my startup off the ground. I work 14 hours a day. You're not working hard enough. You're not hustling. I work to, when, when I say before, I thought it was funny, so I have to say it. So I work 25 hours a day. I go, I go back in time to get the extra hour. That's how hard I work. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, and just as a total side note here as well, is I've been amused over the last six months or so by all those that have said, Apple's done, there is no more innovation left, they're, they're a company on the decline, Apple, Apple, Apple's no more, and here their stock is at an all-time high, they just posted the best quarterly revenue they've posted, they're, I mean, they're, they're kill, Apple is killing it right now, so as you say- the, lar- the largest- by market cap company in the world. Yeah, it's seven hundred and fifty billion or something like that. Yeah, it's, something. It, they, they will be the first trillion dollar company. I think. Yes, it's, and it, that you know. that could happen sooner than later with this yeah. incredible, unsustainable stock market rally that we are currently seeing. Yes, that's yes, exactly. I would and think so, about just a little little hint. Uh, cash is a really good place to be in right now. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's well, that gets into a whole other set of topics, doesn't it? But I think in pulling it back, pulling it back into what we're talking about, I think it just makes perfect sense for them. to. I, I actually I'm with you. I don't believe Eddie Q. I think they will at some point purchase a media company. It just won't be Disney. Maybe any of the three that were mentioned in the, you know, the Time Warner, the Netflix or the Lionsgate. Actually, Netflix makes a, you know, other than the fact that Netflix is ungodly expensive, Netflix would be the one for them to purchase. Yeah, Netflix would cost them a cool 40 billion probably. Yeah. If they were going to to do to do Netflix, but but again, I mean, we're going to talk about Spotify later in this episode, but you could look at Spotify, you could look at SiriusXM, you could look at a lot of different things where they're looking for a platform. If they're looking for a platform, which I believe they are. Yeah, exactly. Looking for a platform that they can then sell additional services into. And they already have the service, right? The service is Apple Music. That's they can right. already monetize it. So that's the great thing. You just, and that's the whole idea. And we've been talking about it, you know, the Aero Elect- Electronics example, where if you have stuff that you already sell to an audience, you just buy the audience and right. then you have more opportunities to sell to them. It's just, I mean, that's, this is the model that we're talking about Apple engaging in right now is what every company in the next five years is going to be doing. It's just so we're talking about Apple. We're just talking about Apple because they just <clears throat> happen to have a few spare billion dollar treasure troves just laying around all it's over amazing. the world, which it's at some point they're going to bring back to the United States. So. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. All right. Well, enough on that. Then yeah. we'll uh, we'll 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 continue to watch it as it happens. We'll here, call it Disney say. Watch 2017. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> all right. Moving on to our second story here. This one near and dear to your heart as well. Here about publishing executives, and this article comes to us courtesy of Digiday.com. Um, the article opens up by saying, "Look, you visit any trade group conference these days, and when they say trade group, they mean publishing uh, executive conference, and everything is going to sound great. There are no insurmountable obstacles. Everything is coming up roses, and what everyone is doing has never been more important. A lot of that was in evidence Tuesday at the American Magazine Media Conference, but we thought it would be more fun to." Skip those and ask some attendees to open up about what they're seeing on the ground. <laughs> Basically, we thought it would be much more fun to talk about the disaster that's right around the corner. Um, those interviewed include people from both the editorial and the business side of the publishing houses, as well as members of the advertiser and agency community. They go and go on to talk about how publishers are seeing themselves sort of behind the curtains as being five years behind um, the rest of the market. And so is that accurate, Joe? And what did you take out of this article? Well, the only, I mean, you got to remember, too, that this five years behind magazine executives article, I've been reading it for 15 years. Yeah, exactly. So there, this is not <laughs> this is not something that just happened. Yeah. This has been a thing ever since the web was created. So the, the take that I have, though, is and something I think that brand marketers can take away is I think the rut that publishers and media companies get into is they focus on channel. They simple, simple enough where they say, okay, we have a magazine and then here's the web or here's events and, and you know, here's an in-person medium or whatever. 
here's social media. And right. they look at all these channels and they're like saying, how do we monetize that? Instead of really like what most brands should be doing, saying, what do we have to, uh, that? what can we create? What stories can we tell that are unique and helpful to a very specific audience? And magazine executives have never asked that. They've always said, how do we take this print property that we've been making buco bucks with for dozens of years, and how do we translate that on the web? They, they don't really get specifically into what, how can we tell a different story? How, maybe it is a different audience. They really do. I mean, that's why the initial products of magazine uh, media companies were just replicas. It's just a replica of the magazine. And, oh, can we monetize that? And they yeah. were able to a little bit when they started. And, of course, that all fell apart. So, I mean, I think... I wish you'd see we'd see it a little bit differently, but if you if you then just go and you look at the channels themselves, I think that you look at print as one of the best loyalty generating mediums that are out there. Then you have uh, digital, which may not be great for revenue for a lot of magazine companies, but is surely great for audience building. Yes, and then I personally think course we're biased because we have content marketing world the best way to monetize a media brand in general is through events yeah. especially on the b2b side well you know it's so funny you mentioned that the the, the way it you know i was at a so speaking of brand marketers i was literally at a large very large organization yesterday doing a client visit advisory day how large and, was it i'm it sorry very I you very to large very <laughs> large, large very large okay um and as i'm sitting there and i'm sitting with the team and the v, this is my first visit, and I, I'm sitting there, and I and the VP of digital marketing, which is already a challenge for me, right? You know, so the VP of digital marketing says, lays out the rules. He says, you know what we need to do? We need to stop thinking about how we can bring people into our website, and we need to start thinking about how we can basically disperse all of our content all over the web, Facebook, social media, syndicated content on other websites. We need to basically be everywhere our audience is. And I just looked at him and I said, no, it's the opposite of that. But I, it's really hard for me. This is the attitude of so many, like not just, this isn't just a publisher thing, right? This is brand marketers as well, thinking we need to sort of throw the dust in the wind and try and be everywhere that our customer is going to be and try and and try and guess what it will not work you cannot monetize every single channel that you have and you cannot you've got to commit to actually bringing people to you and the only way you bring people to you is if you have something worth you know showing up for and that's the the, the 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 biggest thing that I see these days on the brand marketing side on the you know where you know not the I mean the publishing side for sure but the brand marketing side is this insistence that the they've 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 got this website and everything either has to be within the four walls of this website because otherwise it's really complicated and we can't measure it and it's all this, you know, we, uh, we have to have the blog in a section of the website under a tab and it's got to be there, it's got to be there or we can't measure it because Google Analytics and two websites and oh my God, how would we ever do that? And this, they sort of wringing their hands over having a separate blog or a separate magazine or a separate thing that's a media property and then this, this idea of, well, we don't want that. What we want to do is we want to have content on Facebook and on this website and on this magazine website and on this event and put this guy out speaking. And, and, and yes, those are good and important things. But if you don't have anywhere to bring them to, then why are, what are you doing? What are you, all you're doing is dispersing your brand all over the, all over the world. And that's not going to, that's not going to produce much result. I love that. You you just have to look at what the the most innovative media companies out there are doing right now, and I would put New York Times in that model. I would yeah, put, put Washington Post in that. I would put BuzzFeed to an extent in that model. Look at what they're doing. They are do, yes, they are using distributed content models, but they're doing so to draw them back to an owned property. Done. I, and I know that a lot of people would disagree with us on that, but you can add, sure. Can you spread it all over the place? I mean, yeah, it's fairly easy to do that. But the problem is, is that you lose all control over that. And 
if you're going to do so with the purpose of bringing them back to to some platform, that's fine. But I would focus on one at a time. Like, how are we going to use Facebook to do that? If you've noticed, New York Times and Washington Post, where they ramped up, like, as soon as uh, Facebook allowed them to publish articles, they, they are not publishing as many articles as they used to on Facebook. So there is a trend to sort of hold back and say, well... Maybe we're not maybe we're not seeing the conversions we want to see by just throwing our content out everywhere. Maybe there's a better way to do it. Which yeah. I think that there is. Well, there is. You can and, go you all know. in with Facebook, but the sure. pro- problem is tomorrow you may get all your access shut off. Well, you're only as you good as yeah, you're only as, you know, it I mean, have you do you ever watch King of the Hill? Yes, I have. Okay, so you know the pocket sand thing, right? <laughs> you know, where pocket sand is the ultimate weapon, you should have it. So for those of you who don't know, basically he walks up and says, you got to have pocket sand, and you pull out a pocket, you know, and you can throw it in somebody's eyes. You're only, and that's basically what we're doing with social and all of this content dispersion, is we're using pocket sand. to throw. So you're only as good as how much sand you have in your pocket. And, and you run out very quickly. And so that's where people are really starving for this content, and they're saying, we can't create enough to feed all of these channels. And instead of looking at it that way, if you start thinking about how we're building something of value where people want to aggregate, want to hang out, want to actually read and consume content you know, regularly, now all of a sudden you get to leverage the stuff that you created last week, last month, last quarter, last year, because it's all there in this wonderful central place. And then the pocket sand you're throwing is basically to say, come and visit, right? And that's the, it, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's, to me, it seems so straightforward, right? To use the channels, absolutely use the social channels, sure. absolutely use the distributed content, absolutely use the outbrains, the taboulas, the Google ads, the ways to promote your content out there in the general universe, but use it as a means to pull them into your own media experience so that you can actually do something with them, do something with their with their visit that gives you value. And that that is the... The, to me, it's it's it, you know it when you when you talked about from the publishing side coming back to this article a bit, you talked about the idea that you know they're looking at all these channels and trying to figure out how to monetize all of them. It's like <clears throat> one of the things that I see publishers not doing is looking at the biggest asset they have, which is the audience that they maintain and that they've spent years building, and saying how do we leverage that? How do we take our yeah. amazing loyal audience that we've built and figure out another way to make money with them? That's that's how we diversify. It's not sort of being chasing the technology or chasing the channels. It's taking the assets we have and disrupting ourselves into new business models. That's it. It. it I don't know. It seems so straightforward to me, but it. But it, it's. It's. Yeah. Well, well. By the way, last week when we talked about um, the e newsletter uh, article, that I think that was my rant or my rave. My rave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Economist talked about how much their audience development costs have come down because of the web. I mean, you could literally, you don't have to monetize, directly monetize everything you do digitally. You could just say, wow, look at all this data and look at the subscribers that we're building here. And then you could actually monetize it in a separate way. And that's That's right. I mean, that's that's easy from a brand perspective because usually you're trying to monetize, you sell more products and services. But but for some reason, publishers haven't gotten that. They're thinking, oh, well, we can't do that digitally because we're not driving revenue. I mean, are we that short-sighted yeah, that well, everything we do, every activity we do has to drive direct revenue? You've you've seen me do this, and I know you agree with it because you let me do it. But basically, <laughs> you've seen me do this in the master classes where I talk about Chief Content Officer magazine. So we have a print magazine that if you look from the outside looking in as us as a media company, as CMI as a media company, you go, oh, look, yeah, there's their print product. And it's like... Yes, it is a print product, but it's not. It's a marketing platform for us. Yep. Chief Content Officer Magazine is a marketing platform. It was never meant to just from the advertising and or subscription provide a profit. It's actually there as a marketing platform that helps pay for itself, certainly through advertising and subscription. But its main goal is to draw more people into our events and, and into our community and build an audience. That's its main purpose. The fact that it also tends to pay for itself because people in international markets pay for a subscription and because advertisers pay for placement is just a very nice way to do marketing. And that's just a different way of looking at it if you're a media company. 
And just, and that's where if you are a print media company, maybe not now, maybe not in five years, but at some point, the magazine hopefully will stay. I'm actually have a little, a uh, little uh, rave on this in my, in my talk, but the, hopefully it will stay, but it will be designated under marketing. Yeah. At some that's point. Right. So just no matter what you're doing or how profitable it is, at some point in the future, your magazine becomes marketing or you decide you're short sighted and you decide to kill it. That's right. So there yep. you go. There you get go. ready for that. <laughs> Boys and girls, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. you ready for this? Dun, dun, dun. All right, moving on here. Um, well, now another topic that's near and dear. This seems to be a show filled with stuff that's near and dear to our hearts here. Yes. Um, this is an article about podcasting, and you sort of teed this up a little bit when you were talking just a minute ago. This article also coming from Digiday, um, and the headline here is Spotify is looking for original podcasts. And the article opens up by saying, a big new front has opened up in the war for exclusive podcasts. Spotify has been talking to podcast producers about original shows, including Gimlet, How Stuff Works, and Pineapple Street Media, according to multiple people familiar with the discussion. Spotify did not make an executive available for comment. The shows, which Spotify would like to be focused on music, according to one producer that's spoken to the service, would be the first step in a longer-term play several platforms are making to become hubs for both music and spoken word audio content. Content. They could also serve as a valuable way for Spotify to grow its revenue sources ahead of an IPO many expect to happen either this year or next, which is not going to happen, by the way. But uh, there we have that. So what did you think about this? This is exciting, I think, for, for Spotify, given even what we just talked about with Apple. I think it's very exciting, and it's something they have to do. And by the way, so what I'm going to give you right now is, is my opinion it doesn't mean that it is facts so nobody take out and, and run with this. But yes. Spotify has historically thought of their competition, I think, if you look at their documents, as Pandora and Sirius XM, sort of in general. Yeah. The, the challenge right now is Spotify's main competition, and nobody wants to look. I'm sure Spotify knows this, is Amazon and Amazon's Audible. Um, so if you, if you know Audible, I love Audible. A lot of people use Audible, mostly they're audio books. Um, and they are the leader in delivering audio books and now they're getting into the podcasting, podcasting game. room. Yeah. So they're getting into podcasting. And by the way, once they get into podcasting, you know what else they're going to get into music. music. Yeah, of course. That's right. And they will eat Spotify's lunch. Now my take is going to be. If Spotify does this properly, and to your point, I totally agree with you about the IPO. I think Spotify is purchased by Amazon. I think that's that's the play that that's what they're trying to set themselves up for, whether they want to admit it or not. And oh, I that's think, a really interesting take. I think that's I think that's I hadn't even thought about that, but that's really interesting because so basically now Amazon's already going to build up the talk content on their talk show version content, podcast content on their platform. So they're already going that direction. Spotify has obviously the music. They're dominated by music. And what I love about this, if if you look at this article, our good friend Tom Webster has mentioned in his Edison research, they always have great um, share of ear research that he talks about and basically says, look, the split Americans spend 80% of their time on, on music consumption when they listen to audio, 80% on music, 20% on talk. He doesn't see that uh, changing all that much. So Amazon's got to be salivating, saying, oh, man, we're, how do, do we grow this organically or do we buy it? Well, sure. you buy Spotify or you buy Pandora, and I think you probably won't buy SiriusXM. I think that's just too big. I think they can get Pandora and Spotify for less. I think you're right. I think you're right. And 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 they have a streaming service. It's not like Amazon doesn't already have a streaming service, but it's so kludgy. Yeah. And so, you know, and so hard to use and all of that that you, nobody uses it, I'm sure. Um, you know, and so this is a it would be a great way for them to offer a music streaming service which would also drive sales of music through the Amazon store and and all of that. You know, I mean, when was the last time you bought some music, right? through Amazon is probably not for a very, very long time, but, um, but this would be a way for them to open that whole thing up and provide a subscription based model that would, you know, it fits it. It's a great take. I, I hadn't even thought of that before, but it fits right into what they would want to do. Oh, by the way, uh, I mean, this is not a secret, but iTunes subscribe, you don't get any data on your iTunes subscribers, right? Apple doesn't give you anything. If 
there is a disruption opportunity if Spotify or somebody else with podcasts would give some data (laughs) to the people that are doing these. We're desperate for data. We would love to know that. And Apple can doesn't have to give us data because they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. That's right. Um, And it's not going to hurt their business necessarily because they just hit an all-time high in stock prices, you mentioned. But I think if you are trying to disrupt the market, if you, if you could have some ownership go with that those subscribers, kind of like uh, you know a, a WordPress or a Medium, as we've talked about, where you get a little bit more control over your subscriber access, I think there's an opportunity there as well. There absolutely is. And by the way, Apple, if you're listening out there, up there in Northern California. Be careful. You know, Be careful well, what you say. Here's what I would say to them is, Publishers, media companies, um, you know, Joe and Robert would pay actually a little bit of dough to get some of this data, would actually subscribe to the data service that is a premium service, a premium service to publishers who are beginning to monetize their podcast content in a way that would provide some deeper level of meaning behind the, the, the numbers so that we could actually, you know, do things like continue to do podcasts at a at a higher and higher level. And so if you care about, I mean, so you can draw the circle, Apple, and say, people that care about this do it for a long time. Thus, this is episode 171, by the way, and are monetizing it through sponsors, need the data to continue to do that. When they get the money to do that, this podcasters get continue. Thus, the content gets better. Thus, your ecosystem of content gets higher quality. Thus, you make more money. So it, there's a total business case to do this and and i don't know why they haven't yet could you imagine the the windfall of money if they just offered an analytic service oh to my go? gosh it would be crazy oh my it, goodness it i mean by the way we and we host ours i mean this podcast is so unlike a lot of our friends and colleagues it hosts through libsyn liberated syndication That's right. and they give some data and they give some data. We know how many downloads. Uh, we know where the con- what countries are coming from. Those types of things. But we would we would like a lot more uh, data. Oh, I'm sure, sure demographics and you know and all those kinds of things. You know the typical things that we might get from a Nielsen or a Comscore or something like that would be really fantastic. Yeah. Hey, we're, hey, you know what? How many business models do we come up for these companies? I mean, jeez. I know. I know. They should just listen. We, to we us. give and give and give. We spent. We are committed to giving. We are just as we're givers, Joe. We're givers. We're givers. That's my pocket sand. Pocket sand. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to think about that the rest of the day. The pocket sand. I'm going to do episode. that. I'm going to carry around some sand now. Some pocket sand. Yeah. yeah. All right. Our last. Uh, article for the show is comes to us courtesy of our friends at Contently. Um, always putting out some good content there, the Contently folks are. And The Onion's CCO explains why so much content marketing sucks. Um, I love this article, I have to say. It was just really great. The article opens up by saying, the realest joke in all of marketing came three years ago in the form of an Onion article. As the entire media industry salivated over sponsored content as the new savior of the publishing business model, The Onion released its Michelangelo. The headline was, Sponsored Content Pretty Effing Awesome. And they didn't say effing, they actually used the word. It revealed the naked absurdity of native advertising in a way that a blog post from Jeff Jarvis or Michael Wolf never could. And then it goes on to actually talk about an interview, The Onion's uh, uh, chief content officer, by saying how they do that. And he basically says, why, you know, how does this work? How do you guys succeed at this? How are you guys doing so well? He says, well, we're not making commercials. We're actually creating something funny. (laughs) So, I mean, it's that simple, right? It's like, so I love this article for basically, it's sort of just peel everything back and say, why is it working? Because it's not a commercial. That's, it's that simple. What did you take out of this? The one thing that, I mean, it's a great article. It's a fun, fun article to read. The, The one thing that I would take is that the, the data point of 90% of the Onion's advertising deals now have a custom content component to That's it. right. That's right. And what that tells you, and by the way, this is not, uh, I mean, if you look at BuzzFeed, um, Huffington Post go in that direction. They have 150 people or something just in custom content now, Huff, HuffPo does. Yeah. Um, this, th- what you are seeing, the new media company, they're agencies with a media front end. You've talked about this a million times. That's this right. is exactly what we're seeing, and that's why agencies are going out and buying media companies because they need the they need the distribution. 
They need the media front end. So if you are an agency that focuses on financial services, you are probably or should be going out and buying a front end media platform so that you can it can help you sell these deals because more and more of these deals are are basically native advertising custom content. The only thing I I don't like about the examples they used and by the way they're all fu- they're mostly funny they're really good is yeah. they're still part of campaigns they're not that's right. well, it's branded program. content it's branded yeah. it's, that def- this isn't you know this is definitely not content marketing when we yeah. when we think about it the way we think about it they're branded content but it's it's still great stuff it's next evolution advertising that's Absolutely. right yeah that's right so yeah I, I i love this for 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 where they're going and you know, I've been working lately with a few with a few clients that are actually looking at doing this kind of you know this level of content, where both not it doesn't always have to be onion level funny. You know, one of the clients that I'm talking with right now is looking at you know getting in really heavy hitter economists and heavy hitter you know thought leaders you know personalities, Pulitzer Prize winning sort of people to create content for them, which will cost lots of money and will really, you know, be a a shaker of budget, but is the kind of thing that will differentiate and pull people into their, you know, and basically elevate the, the, you know, elevate their quote unquote blog to an actual leading magazine. You know, one of the things that I that I that I love so much about re- when I've read the 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 varying case studies of of GE's um, GE reports is, and I'm forgetting the guy's name off the head, the, the Forbes editor that they brought in to basically run the magazine, and he said basically we just wanted to be the leading science magazine out there, and more and more when I'm talking to these brands that really want to sort of take their content marketing to the next level, they're looking at basically taking and investing a serious amount of money into differentiating content, whether it's hiring the onion to do something really funny or something like funny or die or getting the Saturday night live players to do something or hiring an economist or bringing in a Pulitzer prize winning author to pull, you know, to pull in that's the kind of stuff that's going to elevate your owned media experience into not just a corporate blog, but into something that's truly a media property worth um, visiting and subscribing to. And I just think that trend, whether it comes in the form of you know noteworthy branded content that pulls people in or a piece that runs in your corporate blog, I, I just I, I like it very, very much because I think that's the future of mm-hmm. marketing. I just it just reminded me this happened about six seven months ago or something like that. There's this is a large technology company brand, and they had a blog and they you know they weren't doing very well with it, weren't getting the traffic they wanted to, and they just asked me, Joe, would you take a look at it? I said, sure, I'll take a look at it, no problem. I said, well, the first thing I would do is that. When you go to it, you go to the the homepage of the blog. It just says blog. And I said, yeah, "Yeah, everyone wants to go to something called Called blog, blog. especially the blog from your boring company. I mean, it's just like, it's just simple things like that where we, we sort of lost our way. And you and I have seen it a billion times where it's sort of the, the content marketing of the organization gets shoved into this thing called blog and they can't get any attention for it at all. And I'm like, well, maybe if you stopped calling it a blog, like it's just some (laughs) boring thing. Nobody really wants to go to a blog, right? They want to have an experience. So don't so so tell them right up front that they're going to have an experience that's different. And by the way, GE does a great job of that with their podcast, The Message. What was the new one we talked about last week? I forgot the name. Life Ever After. Yeah. And uh and GE Reports and those I mean those are fantastic examples. Yeah. So change if you have a blog called Blog. Yeah change it find just a name for it it's like it's it you know it's it it, it still amazes me how many websites out there still have a section of their website called features and another section called benefits (laughs) it's like really do we do we need to segment it like that is that what our customers looking for are they do they come in going i really wish there was a section of the website called features and another section called benefits anyway by the way you and i know i mean i you you worked on this 20 years ago, I started working on it 15 years ago when, when you, when you do a layout for a website, right? 
It's like, where's the features? Here's the features. Yeah. Here's the benefits. Oh, yeah. It's the same. Oh, yeah. They're still the same yeah. thing. 20 yeah. years Oh, later. you'd have little, you'd have dual boxes, right? On your product <laughs> page. There would be the left-hand box, which would be the features, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And then a right-hand box, which is benefits, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And if you were really clever, the bullet points would align up with each other. So the first feature would align up to the first benefit. It's like, wow, you guys are designing something cool. It's amaze balls right there. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, that anyway. gets us yeah, that, that gets us <laughs> to something that is amaze balls, which is something we should talk about, which is our episode sponsor this yes, week. Yes, yes, thank you I, again this week uh, because we have a lot of events coming up. We wanted to make sure that we let everyone know about the wonderful Content Marketing Institute events we have coming up. First off, on February twenty second, our free virtual event content tech, all about the latest in content marketing technology. Again, that's a free virtual event. Everything that you can possibly imagine, you got video, you've got data, you got social, we're talking about it all and the technology you need when you're looking at your content marketing stack. Go to contentmarketinginstitute.com slash events and sign up. Again, it's free. And for some reason, you're busy on February 22nd. Don't worry about it. You can sign up and you can get the archive. And and these are great. Uh, somebody named Robert Rose is one or one of the keynotes. I hear it's a good presentation. Yeah, uh, that you're going you to like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we've also got Matthew Patrick, YouTube sensation Matt Pat. He's doing another keynote, and we've got some amazing sponsors and and friends helping us out throughout the day. So uh, make sure you check that out. Two in person events coming up. Intelligent Content Conference uh, is in March. 2000, March 28th to 30th, 2017, so coming up in a little bit in Las Vegas. This already, we already know, is going to be our biggest ICC ever. Uh, I don't know if you were, you and I did a better job with the programming this year, but it is taking off. I'm sure it has something to do with that. <laughs> so whatever the reason is, we're extremely excited that this is going to be our biggest and best ever intelligent content conference. And basically, all you need to know is if you're serious about your content strategy for your enterprise, you definitely want to be at ICC. So go to intelligentcontentconference.com. Make sure you're signing up. We've got some amazing speakers us that are they're going to be presenting from from very large reputable innovative brands so you want to make sure you check that out content marketing world um september 5th through 8th 2017 in cleveland ohio over 4,000 will attend this year just make sure you put that on your calendar if you want a discounted rate you're going to want to sign up in the next three or four weeks before the rates go up so go to contentmarketingworld.com and check that one out and then just Finally, we've got our training, Content Marketing Institute University, that's opening open enrollment for the spring semester starts on March 1st. You're going to want to make sure you check that out. And uh, do we have a coupon code for that, Robert? Don't we have a coupon code? I think it's a... Uh, do you know? You're asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Is it? I think it's. I think it's PNR two hundred. Just sure, make just make one up and then we'll we'll put it in there. Why don't you do? Yeah, that? Yeah, I think it's PNR two hundred. PNR two hundred to save. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, let us know. We're really organized around here. But if you if you would like to sign up, we want to save you money because you are a loyal this old marketing listener. So that uh, open enrollment is just in the month of March. Brand new program that Robert Rose put together. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. It is good. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. It's, this is your best it's one really ever. Good. It's always it's your good. best one ever, but you yeah. take the learnings from the last year and you put it into it so it's completely fresh. Yeah. And uh, fresh is good in this case. That's so, right. There we That's go. Right. Lots of All stuff right. going Lots of lots stuff, of stuff going on. Yeah, we are busy, absolutely. busy, busy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of the show, which is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we want to commit or something that makes us feel like we want to commit Harry Carey. Um, <laughs> and so uh, let's see. I'm going first because I have this old marketing got uh, this week. Yep. All right. So. I have. I don't know whether it's a. I think it might be a rave. Although I'm loath to rave against this guy because um, I find most of his stuff to be just so odious. Um, you know, the the this is the ad contrarian. If you if you don't know, um, and but he wrote a post, and it's one that I have to t- say I just really agree with. Um, and maybe not to the extreme. He tends to be a little a little acerbic. Um, in his take on things, but he he wrote a post um, just the day before Valentine's Day called uh, "Ad Tech's Massive Failure," um, and he basically goes through bullet by bullet 
and talks about how ad tech really has just been a disaster for marketing strategy, marketing and advertising strategy. And he starts to list out just recent news. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good resource, I just have to say, a really e- interesting resource that talks through all of the different ways that that, is, that pendulum is starting to swing back, basically talking about where you know, ad tech is, is, is really even promoting ad fraud and, and blocking and programmatic is really not working and how PNG, which we talked about on this show, which talks about the, the failure of digital and getting grown up. And, you know, and if you're an online publisher where ad tech is seeing that you are basically constantly struggling to end monetize your content, which we also talked about, I think two weeks ago on the show where we talked about the sort of declining value of real estate where you're always, you know, Basically, with ad tech, you're teaching your customers how to look for the lowest possible click-through you know, cost. And why would I advertise with you when I can look at your visitors and know that they also go visit Bob's blog and click through Bob's blog? So I'm just going to go advertise on Bob's blog where it's 25% cheaper. And so he then for, sort of finishes off by saying getting, getting rid of ad tech is not going to immediately solve all the problems, but it could be an enormous step forward. And, and that may or may not be true, and I certainly don't want to sort of suggest that necessarily. But what I would say is, is that it's a really interesting – so this just happens to be top of mind for me because as Joe and I write our book, we're talking about how market – not just content marketing, but marketing needs to evolve and change and basically be fundamentally just almost discarded and reborn. And – I had this discussion yesterday at that same company that I talked about just um, just a few minutes ago where I was talking to the VP there. I had a really interesting conversation with their CMO. And it, you know, we were we were having a cup of coffee and we were talking and I said, "You know, increasingly it makes so much more sense for me that content, our editorial strategy, the media strategy that we have, whether you call that a paid, earned, shared, owned, peso, or you call it just a paid, earned, owned, or it's basically your basically relationship with the audiences that you're pulling into your brand. So call that your overall media strategy. And I would center that on an owned media strategy, but obviously that's my bias. That relationship should be the driver of every other thing you're doing in marketing. We're still today, I asked this guy, and this is so common, I said, are you, you know, how do your, how do your product managers create their marketing strategies? Well, they write a brief, that brief goes to the agency, agency says, yep, the brief is great, they create entire media strategy around that, that brief then gets sold as the Bible, the media strategy gets done, and then the very last thing they do is fill it full of creative to try and sell more stuff. That's a 1950s, 1960s hangover that we're still hanging on to, this process of the media brief and how we create our marketing strategies based on this stupid thing called the brief. And this, we just need to switch this around and think about how marketing is going to be redefined now in a 24-7, 365-day-a-year, always-on world where our relationship with the audience is now can be optimized by our strategic use of content and media that develops a stronger relationship with that audience. And that should be the driver. So am I saying that content marketing should actually be you know, the strategy creator that the advertising model follows? Yeah, I kind of am. And that's a really different thing. And I think this article, while very much focused on just simply the flaws of ad tech more broadly and programmatic more broadly, is a really interesting data point in that sort of mission. And I've just, that's, I just, I wanted to, you know, sort of rave about it from that perspective. And it may be the only time I <laughs> rave on an article from Ad Contrarian, but there you have it. Somebody really needs to write a book. Uh, yeah, somebody is. Two people topic. are. Yeah, absolutely. September. There we go. There we go. We are officially releasing it at Content Marketing World. Did you know this? I did. I did, and I'm super excited. Just wanted to make sure you. I'm I'm feeling super pressured at the moment, but I'm super excited. (laughs) Yeah, because in a couple weeks we need almost the full manuscript done. But that's okay. Yeah, why I'm going on vacation. It's raining here in California, so you know. There you go. You're you're going on vacation. Better to do. Yeah, there you go. I have two takes on fake news. So the first one, <laughs> are you going to talk one, about? The, are you going to talk no, about? No, no, yeah, news, the second one. I'll, okay. We'll talk about that the second okay. one. Let me talk about something sure. constructive. To start <laughs> with. 
So, uh, Linda Thomas Brooks, president and CEO of the Association of Magazine Publishing, or MPA, believes that in this article from Publishing Executive, believes that 2017 is the year of the print magazine. And she says, if there was ever a moment when all indicators in both the marketing world and in the consumer world pointed to us, I think this is it. And that's what, uh, what Ms. Brooks said. Now, I don't know if 2017 is going to be the year of the magazine, but I do believe there's been a sentiment change considering two, two points here. So first, first off, fake news is an increasingly huge problem. I think we would all agree that there is an issue there. I think that one, if, if anything's going to take down Facebook, which I don't think anything will, but it could be the proliferation of fake news if they don't figure this out. Yeah. And and I immediately, I don't know about you, Robert, Robert, but I immediately discount any news piece promoted on Facebook unless I find multiple credible sources behind it, like yep. New York Times or Wall Street Journal or whatever the case is. Now, second, I have no qu- quantitative information on this, but I've been seeing more spend time online there's spend less time online articles than I've ever seen before. I, I, I'll put one in the show notes that I found on Mashable, which I think is funny. There's a Mashable article about how to spend less time online. Uh, and I know us as, as our family, we've been working hard to limit our time online. I hear other parents are concerned as well. And, and we take more trips to the library, I think, than we've ever taken before. So, so that's very important. And, and I do believe that today, in today's day and age, when credibility is in short supply, and consumers are desperate for real and trustworthy information, I believe print holds a clear advantage. I mean, the process to publish content in print is simply uh, more deliberate and, and thus more credible. There's more of a process, and a mistake in print can't be undone like it can online. And I actually, Robert, I went to a, a snippet here. There's an article on from Purdue Writing Lab. So I pulled this out. They say, for print sources... Traditional print sources go through an extensive publication process that includes editing and article review. The process has fact checkers, multiple reviewers, and editors to ensure quality of publication. So when you cite sources, they they put more validity behind print sources. And then they say for internet sources, anyone with a computer and access to the internet can publish a website or electronic document. Most web documents do not have editors, fact checkers, or other types of reviewers. Both true, by the way. This is both absolutely true, but I think the point to remember is print never left. And my conversations with, we talked about this before, my conversations with publishers and in niches all over the world, uh, reader interest has never faded. It's the advertising that left. That's right. Forcing many print medias, print magazines to shutter. They didn't shutter because people weren't reading the magazine. They were shuttering because uh, advertisers weren't paying for print advertising. But I, I do believe what's going on with digital content, especially with fake news, will help thrust the power of print into the forefront. Now, here's my rant against Ms. Brooks. Advertising is not going to say print. There's no way. I'm 100% sure advertising in print is not coming back. It is never, ever coming back. I'm going to say that again. Print advertising is never, ever coming back to any significance. The revolution in print, which I think is going on right now, will be led by single-sponsor publishers who don't have to make money directly off the magazine. We just talked about this with CCO Magazine. Like Airbnb, who recently launched a new magazine, to, of course, my favorite print magazine of all time, The Furrow Magazine from John Deere, now 122 years in a row of publishing. So I just wanted to go through that. I like what Ms. Brooks said from the MPA, uh, but I totally disagree with her that advertising is going to have anything to do with it. I think it's going to be coming from from mostly larger brands, but I think the opportunity is there for for brands of any size to take on uh, this opportunity, which I really do believe it's an opportunity in print. My second thing we could talk about, and so here's my quandary. Are you ready for this, Robert? You still yes, there? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm just checking. I know. Uh, no, I'm. 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 I'm wrapped with attention. Okay. I'm. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> so on Valentine's Day, it was. I um, love this story so much. It's so great. It was great. 20, 20 years. I proposed to my wife on Valentine's Day twenty years ago, nineteen ninety-seven. So romantic. And, I, and it. And I wanted to remember it with. Of course, the most important thing you can do is with a Facebook post. That's right. So I I put this on Facebook and I and I said something to the effect of uh, twenty years ago today she said yes. 
That's right. And I no, put that's, up, not, that's not sort of what you said. You said exactly that. That's what I said. Yeah. I said, 20 years ago today, she said yes. And I put a picture. It was actually our <laughs> wedding photo that yeah. I put. Bing, 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 what bing. I was, what I was going for was it was the, the 20th anniversary of the 20 years ago from proposal. That's when That's I right. proposed, not when we got married. And I didn't see anything wrong with this. I, I thought I had it perfectly because I've had some issues before where I wasn't quite uh, clear because I remember one time I put something about I just presented to a group in Moscow I did it virtually, but I just said Moscow, and people thought I was in Moscow, and I started getting texts from people in Europe. Uh, <laughs> so I got to got to be very specific. So I uh, and I just let it go, and this thing has taken off. I don't know; it's got almost five hundred likes or something, and it's being shared. And it's crazy. But after about a hundred and like the first thirty comments, it became clear that people thought it was our wedding anniversary. Yeah, it wasn't a hundred; it was like four. It was, it was just so to be clear. Whatever. Like four or five. Well, yeah. now I didn't, then I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Because we started getting, I started getting texts and my wife did, like, sure. what's going on? We know we were candy, at your wedding. Get, this yeah, wasn't it. And get some anniversary presents. Yeah. And I'm just, and I, and I talked to my wife and I'm like, well, what should I do? Should I fix this? She's like, just let it go. Just, yeah. just let it go, and it is what it is at this point. So I, and yeah. I have no take. You're on literally this. the Kellyanne Conway of your generation. <laughs> just so that you know, it's the Bowling Green Massacre. <laughs> yeah, <of> anniversary <laughs> posts. Yeah, it's weird. So, but we, that post was my best performing post ever. Yeah, on Facebook. So and then I went to my news. wife. Well, and that's what I said. News. I said, well, what fake thing can I make up for today? <laughs> that. <laughs> It's so addictive, anyway. isn't it? It's a, it's an addictive. It's a, it's you know, it it's is. A drug, I'm my drawn friend. in because yeah. here it is. It's not even a real thing, and it's done the. It's it's been it's been my most liked thing on Facebook, and it's not even real. That's fascinating. Well, I didn't fall for it. I didn't you fall knew. for your. You already um, knew. Yeah, I knew. Well, I know when your anniversary is. But so you know what? That's that's. It, uh, here's the funny thing. Yeah, we have a couple of our aunts and family members, older, mostly older family oh, right. members, and they're like, they're, they're like, like, did we miss it? No. <laughs> No, they're like, happy anniversary. I, I, you two look so cute. And they were at the wedding in June. Right. We got married in June. That's right. So <laughs> it's just I'm like, oh, God, we're in trouble. <laughs> well, there you have it. Yeah. I'd love, I think that's. I don't think there's any point to that second. No, one. there's no point. Just, it's just it's a very just, funny story. And it's, it's also, just, it's also, it's, it's also just a reminder for us all to be clear in what we're posting. If you, so, if you want, if you, unless you want people to assume other things. So today I posted a picture of me presenting in Japan because I yes. did a, and I said very specifically, here's me doing a virtual presentation via Skype to, uh, to an audience in Japan. Yeah, and I sh- and so I didn't want to think people that you know, people thought I actually went to Japan. I did not. Yeah, yeah. So, there we go. There you have it. There it's probably go. why it's not performing well. Because if I was in Japan, <laughs> if I said I was right. in Japan, you, you I think say, they'd take it off. <laughs> <laughs> you said I'm in Japan today. Check it out. <laughs> oh, anyways, we have time for a quick. Uh, this we old do have example. time for a quick this old marketing, and this one's kind of a fun one. I'm not sure how deep of a content marketing actual process this is, but it was too fun not to uh, to talk about, mainly because I just love this story. If somebody, and by the way, if, if somebody's looking to make a movie, this guy's life story would make an amazing movie. And so um, do, you, do you have uh, Sinclair uh, gas stations in your in your neck of the woods? No, we do not. We do not. Okay. Right so um, I think they're mostly in the sort of Utah, sort of big, you know, upper and up, you know, upper west, right? So Utah, Wyoming, those kinds of things. Um, I know there's some in Texas and stuff like that. But anyway, it's a historical company, right? Sinclair Oil has been around forever, founded by a guy by the name of Harry Sinclair. Um, in 1916, and this guy's life story, and we'll link to um, the Sinclair Oil sort of life stories where they walk through the history of Sinclair Oil as the show notes here, but it's a fascinating thing. He basically builds this wonderful um, oil company in the, you know, 1916, 1920, 1925, and all of that, and builds basically one of the biggest oil companies in the country. And then, you know, and it's, it's full of, you know, wonderful success and everybody's super happy. He's one of the, he's the richest man in Kansas, as they say at that point. And then a really interesting thing happens. Basically, for those of you who took American history, you'll remember something that was on your American history exam called the Teapot Dome Scandal. 
And of course, the Teapot Dome scandal was where the Navy was uh, basically leasing out land in Wyoming um, to oil companies and did so eh, without a little bit of competitive bidding and was doing so with, you know, um, uh, some, you know, bribes and back and forth, you know, has nothing to do with today, of course. There's nothing like that going on <laughs> today. But no, no, but, but, but I digress. Um, and so interestingly, the guy, Harry Sinclair, was caught up in that scandal. Um, and when he was caught up in the scandal, he basically was found innocent but when it went to trial and all the investigations. But during the trial, he actually hired a private investigator to look at the, the jury, and he got caught doing that. So he went to jail, actually, for that. So he ended up in jail, and while he was in jail, the company basically dissolved. I mean, it basically just you know went to hell in a handbasket. And he lost the brand. He lost basically a lot of different things. He gets out of jail. And this is the part where I start to – so he needs to relaunch the brand. And as he relaunches the brand, he decides that he's going to give back and he's going to become – you know, he's really going to talk about something that people could really latch on to. And so he latches on to this idea through help with an agency and all of that of this dino, Dino, the dinosaur idea where he's basically going to create this wonderful little friendly dinosaur logo brand that will represent – it's basically what you see today. If you look at the Sinclair Oil, it's the green dinosaur that's iconic really is one of the most uh, big, you know, big brands, oil, old brands that are out there. So at the Chicago World's Fair, he launches this exhibit, which is basically to teach kids and people around the idea of dinosaurs and how dinosaurs, you know, and fossil fuels were created. And basically, he started to create this wonderful thing with like life-size replicas of dinosaurs at the Chicago World's Fair. And it's a huge hit. And so he takes that and they basically turn it into a traveling show. And the whole thing becomes this wonderful traveling show. And they create a magazine sort of brochure guide to the show that they also give out everywhere. And basically, it's this teaching of what dinosaur, you know, what the Tyrannosaurus Rex was, what the Brontosaurus was before it was called the Apatosaurus, and all of that. You know, basically, a list of all these dinosaurs and the guidebook to how kids could learn about dinosaurs and how big they were and what they ate and how they ultimately became fossil fuels after they went extinct. It was a science book, really, that he created as a guide that they would give out, certainly at the show, but also elsewhere as well. They would give it out at their gas stations. They would give it out everywhere. And then it got to be a big hit, and he took it to the World's Fair. So they did a whole thing at the World's Fair in 1964 with a huge Dino Land exhibit, which basically they then they doubled down on this thing and made it a huge uh, exhibit with the Exciting World of Dinosaurs book as the main giveaway here. Um, and then after the fair closed, that went, that itself became a traveling show. Even today... The magazine um, is, is, you know, you can still find copies of it, but the replicas of the dinosaur, they're all over the place, right? You can find it. There's one at the, when you're driving across the country, if you've ever driven across Route 66, you'll see people take pictures of these dinosaurs that are out in like Texas and and North Texas and and parts of the West. These are all the old dino land dinosaurs that came from that, from that, from those world fairs and from that traveling show. There's one called the Dino. Dinosaur Valley State Park. It's near Glen Rose, Texas. Um, there's another one that's in Illinois, just outside of Chicago. There's one in Kentucky, at the uh, which is a replica of a Triceratops out there. There's one in Washington D.C. So it's even today the the remnants of this wonderful show and the traveling show and the magazine that they created to support it is is out there um, and still representing what Sinclair Oil is as a brand. Even Toy Story, if you remember the movie Toy Story, the little green dinosaur mm-hmm. was basically named after um, the the Sinclair Oil um, uh, replica of the of the brand. Oh, so there that's you have cool! It. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's fun a great little story. fun. Yeah, fun little story. The guy's story is much more interesting, actually. So if you're interested in in sort of his life story, it's a it's a fascinating read to go to go see how he did this. And the Dino Land thing was something that just fascinated me, and a pretty good example of this old marketing. You know, this show, uh, this podcast we do is very educational. I think so, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, <laughs> Things too. you learn. Yeah. Think, the more you know. Dun, the more, dun, dun, the more the you more know. You yeah, know. we need the little star and the yeah. rainbow. Absolutely. There you go. All right. So you're All off right. on vacation. You're, off on you're, vacation. You're yep. off. Gonna go. Uh, we're going to go. Actually, we're leaving. Uh, we have a flight in about uh, three hours. So right. packing up. Taking the kids out there, picking very up nice. uh, the young young one from uh, from school early. He's very excited about that, and we're we're headed. and uh, And in rainy California, you are. 
I am heads down writing. I have a chapter to finish and get to you, and then I have uh, I have some more writing to do, and then some more writing to do, and then yet more writing to do. So I am heads down writing, writing, and creating and writing for the rest of the week. Um, I, I travel wait. next week, um, but um, but uh, yeah, this this through the weekend will be writing time for me. All right, I I'm so I'm very excited. Yeah, that's it's all I can be say. Good. I'm it's that you're committed. Good. I am committed. This. I am committed to excellence is what I am. <laughs> All right. That is it, folks. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number 171, won't you leave us a kind review? A couple of you have. And by the way, we thank you very much for that. We see those reviews. We actually see your tweets um, telling us that you sent a review in. And thank you for that. It helps us rank higher, which helps us keep this thing going on and on and on. So if you haven't yet, also consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher.com or whatever your favorite podcatcher is, hopefully Spotify maybe someday. And when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, if you do any of that, if you want to send us a show idea or an example of this old marketing, let us know. Hashtag us up at this old marketing on the Twitter. We want to converse with you and we thank you so much as a subscriber to this little show. Of course, the story ideas, we love them, and hashtag us up. And, you know, if you've got a question, you can also send an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes, available on the show as we publish on Monday night from Florida, as Joe will publish it, and at the show post on thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.